Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Flail Forward. Today, we have a special guest, Blue. Hi, Blue. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks. And how are you doing? Not too bad. Just woke up. So oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for waking up for uh, joining us today. Breakfast of champions is supper. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... From the flail forward side, we have Catrice. Yep. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Blue's new game that's in development called Parslings. And am I pronouncing that correctly? You are. Perfect. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Parslings is? So Parslings is a deck-building tabletop RPG. So you use a set of playing cards instead of dice to determine your character's actions. Um, and basically, out of a deck of 54 cards, at the start of the game, most characters will start with about 15. And you choose different suits to represent different parts of the character's mentality. You have your diamonds, which is sort of like the determination and willpower, the shonen spirit, if you will. Then you've got your spades, which is sort of like your intellect, your ability to observe and analyze information to create things and to think about um, different ways of proceeding and learning things. Mm -hmm. Then you have your clubs, which is sort of the physical, the way you interact with the world um, in a physical sense, sort of running, jumping, lifting things, punching people, shooting things. And then you have your hearts, which is all about talking, communication, and your ability to empathize with other people. The idea behind this is that you'll create a deck that represents how your character would act in any given situation. Meaning that you've got a little bit more control over your character than as opposed to, say, a normal D20. Mm-hmm. And you mean control, meaning instead of the skills? Um, or are you, are you referring to, like, you're basically each time you're taking an action that is in one of these suits, the, the suits, mm. like, you're, you're kind of modifying the die itself. Exactly. Right? To have that analog. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Parslings, um, you're playing as infected human beings known as Parslings. They've got this special magical inky parasite that's hit them, and they've survived, and they've sort of achieved this homeostasis. Um, and this gives them words that kind of describe who they are as a person. So um, let's go with the example of a doctor. You might get a doctor of, with the words cold, clinical, tall, smart, um, unfeeling. And those could be some of the words that are on them. But Mm -hmm. these words alone don't really do much. And a parsing is basically a human human being when you separate them from everyone else. But if you put two parslings in a room, they can use their words together to create magic. So what does the term cold shoulder mean to you? Uh, it would be a distance, sort of uh, an uncaring, not paying attention, ignoring, I guess. Is... Tends to be rather active. Like, it's not just, oh, you're just ignoring someone. It's that they are talking to you and you are actively going mm. out of your way to make sure that they know that you don't care. Exactly. Now, if a parsing was to use this term, they could apply this to someone else and make them ignore you. Make them pretend or have the feeling that they've got this strong urge to not talk to you. And this could help you slip by without having to get an awkward, awkward conversation. Mm -hmm. Or 
You could literally freeze their shoulder, turn it ice cold, hurt them a little bit. Or you could it could refer to the shoulder of a road. You know the side bit? You can make that ah. incredibly cold and slick it over with ice to kind of throw off your pursuers. Interesting. So, parsing the words are all about interpretation. That makes it a little bit interesting because it means this game will not translate very well through other languages because some languages have a lot of, well, metaphors and, you know, synonyms and such, and then you have some that this would be really powerful in and some that it would do almost nothing. Well, I think every language and every society has their colloquialisms. So if you were to play in a different language, say you were really ambitious, you could be learning about what those words actually mean in context and out of context. So I think it's a learning tool more than anything else. Right. That, that makes sense. And I, I could see them having different meanings in different languages, but each language would have its own unique metaphors, as Catrice said, that could still be applied or sort of a, a different flexibility than would be from one language to another. It seems like a lot of this is really focused on the words that are chosen then that define that character creation. Person. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Because if you use the word shoulder, um, as you said, you had a few different meanings that you could derive from it. Either the, the phrase itself, cold shoulder, had a, a metaphorical meaning, um, and shoulder could be used to represent the anatomical part or the part of the road. But if I would have said, I don't know, um, laundry hamper, um, it's not mm -hmm. quite as flexible or... Uh, well, would you describe anyone as a laundry hamper? Not a person. So I guess the, the focus is then, well, when, when would you define someone by their shoulder? Well, you might define someone as a, as a doormat. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess if they were working out every day and they had these massive shoulders, I'd say. I see, I see, okay. It's the words really come from how you would define them as a person. Okay. How you how you describe them. And then the combinations occur, I guess, when it's the party of people that are in the yep. group. Okay. Yes. So the idea is that we're bringing together a lot of different kinds of people to create different kinds of magic. Interesting. Well, that's very cool. I guess this was really born out um, of a conversation my wife and I were having. Um, in a movie theater, we were just talking about identity and what it means to be called different things. And I guess I, I, I really enjoyed the subject of talking about labels and mm -hmm. masks and, and how we perceive ourselves, more or less. That gets into an interesting bit as well. Like, if you get called something, but you don't really agree with it, does it still apply? See, that's the thing, because a lot of people are can be oblivious to both what they are um what they're seen as and how they see other and again they can also be ignorant in the way that they see other people um again a lot of racial slurs and stereotypes do emerge this way mm. but these words do apply in 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 this world it's all about how you are perceived so the parasite is this magical inky entity that kind of feeds on ideas and concepts so it latches onto a specific concept and feeds on it and it wants its host to act in that way um 
in one of my campaigns, I had an, a character that had the word victim. Like, they were a victim of some horrible tragedy. But then the players started turning around and made them sort of the bully. So they were looking out for victims instead. Mm-hmm. So each word, you can see it many different ways. You can be creating those things, or you could be that thing itself. But for some reason, that word some resonates with how people see you or how you see yourself. Do you ever have the ability to change it over time? Um, yes, I need to implement that in future. future <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, that's more of a long, long-term plan. Right. Um, to be int- basically with games, you have to keep some things in reserve so that you have ideas to act upon and that things don't get too stale. Which means that there's tons of ideas that I haven't yeah. <laughs> yet. Absolutely, I feel that, and especially with the changing evolution of a character, because if you have this game concept that you want to last for a campaign length. You really want to be able to feel progress and progression through different mechanisms in different ways. And whether it's the words or the ability to succeed more, more or less in certain tasks, um, you have different, different pulls and levers that create that feeling of progress and change throughout the game. So completely understand Absolutely. where you're coming from. <laughs> um, and not all puzzlings are born with all of their words immediately. Okay. They emerge over time. Which, gives, which definitely gives cha- um, the players a chance to change up what words they could get um, as their character develops. Is there an upper limit to how many you can have? Um, the hard limit right now is, I think, so there's two types of words. There's aspects, which are sort of nouns, which are sort of like titles that represent a person or a character, and then descriptors, which are augments. Um, the upper limit right now is three augments and five 15 no sorry 12 augments i got my numbers mixed up for a second (laughs) that's okay it happens if you're going through a lot of changes Mm -hmm. there's more than enough things that my players ask me about my game it's like i need to check that up because (laughs) i remember which version we're on yeah Absolutely. It's kind of the curse of developing a game and being there from the start. Yeah, Yeah. that's kind of funny because it means that somebody who's just picked up your game for the first time probably knows more about it than you do. (laughs) Eventually. Hopefully not. (laughs) At least the most current stuff. Because I know that there are a lot of versions where I've sat down to play and I I was like, I I think this is in the current rulebook, but if it's not, this is how I want to play. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a big feel, man. Yeah, big feel. <laughs> and you you made an important distinction that I I wanted to ask about was the choice of words that feed into these characters. Um, so, are there restrictions that you put in place in terms of you already said nouns and adjectives might have different meanings? Um, well, are there are there other ways that you might have restrictions put in place? Um, I'd say usually I leave it to the GM to decide whether or not a word is appropriate for your character. Mm. But the thing is, you're not the only one adding words, uh, potential words that your character can get. So everyone at the table contributes to every other character, including the GM. Okay. So the idea is that you kind of introduce your character to the table, they get all excited, and they start thinking about what words they think of 
at, at at first glance about your character, and then they put them into a a pool of words, which you then roll a dice to determine which word your character actually becomes. Oh wow! So, hmm. so it it sort of represents um, the whole dichotomy of what you see yourself as and what other people see yourself as. Very cool. Kind of interesting. Yeah. I could almost imagine that being a really fun creative exercise where you'd have, um, you kind of let loose the reins to, to other people to steer what kind of character you're going to be playing in a way. Like a lot of people Absolutely. like this aspect of um, D&D tables and, and other games where you just randomly generate several aspects of your character and now you're staring at something that you don't usually gravitate towards in roleplay. Because it's not created by you, it's created by random chance. But this is created by the other people at the table, which I think is a really interesting way of uh, generating that interesting new character to play. I I think it's interesting because it also means that you have to be very clever in the way that you want to talk about things. Because it also prevents players from being the whole hidden backstory, I'm a lone wolf, and I don't want to tell you anything about my character because it's Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> because I think <laughs> I think that it's important to let you your comrades, your friends, know mm-hmm. exactly what you want to do with the character, and so that they can help you achieve the best kind of story that you want. I mean, sure, keep plenty of secrets. Don't get me wrong, but give them enough to work with. I I love this idea, and in praxis, the way I've been designing it, I've I've tried to let that be something that creates the setting, the world. So everyone feeds into creating that overall environment that each of the characters are are formed by. Um, do you have something similar for a setting, or is it a um, have you have do you have a fixed setting for your game that all of these characters are are coming from? Um, I don't have a fixed setting as such. Um, Pilesings was always designed to be agnostic, sort of. Uh, you can apply it to any sort of world that you would okay. like. But um, as part of the book, because that's how games actually get sold, there is a setting. Um, there's a setting of Nominal City. It's this. It's sort of like when Parsings first hit the world. Mm. People sort of panic, and they seal them off. Because, one, they don't really want to you know, go the extreme option. A lot of groups and um, politics go into it saying that it's not a good idea to cause a genocide. You know what I mean? Um, We've had a history of that, and I guess I don't think that would happen in the world currently. But Mm. they get sealed off in their own little city, and it kind of gestates for about seven years, and that's where the stories are told, within that city and outside the city. Okay, very cool. And this is the the default, like you said, but you're flexible to allow other other settings. Cool. Mm. Personally, I've... I've heard of in in my server. I've had people play in World War Two. I've had people play in uh, a post post apocalyptic world. I've had people play pirates. And again, it's just a lot of different worlds that have been popping up just within the server, which is interesting in its own right. Yeah, that's great. Are there specific things that need to be adjusted in a setting to allow for parcelings? Or uh, could, I, could I say, I really love Star Wars and I want to try parcelings with Star Wars? Absolutely, you could do it. You could do it. Um, just the only limitation is that parcelings 
by themselves, they don't do very much. They always need other parslings to work with. Mm. There's always two. The master and the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it, it takes two to have a conversation. And the magic is really just a conversation. Which is, which is really cool. And if you... I, I see this as sort of you assemble a, a crack team that are focused on an objective and in the way where each person's skills intersect with each other, you have sort of a new uh, creation or a new way of solving problems. And each exactly. of these different aspects are sort of their, their specialties, their skills that they can apply. And mm. you've created all of these opportunities for different creative solutions to emerge uh, throughout the party. Or at least the perception of such. Because it, it almost seems like the most powerful character in a, uh, as a parsling would be someone who's really manipulative, like a con artist. Because then they can make you believe they're any word that they, they desire to be. Well, see, the thing is that the reason why I chose the words to manifest sort of as tattoos is that they're semi-permanent. If you're a super manipulative person, you could be branded as manipulative. And when people see that tattoo, it's like, oh, that's not good. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it's visible to those outside that these yes. are... If yeah. people brand you as such, if you don't get branded as such because you're manipulative enough that people don't realize you are... <laughs> then you're very lucky. And then... <laughs> 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 or very competent. Yeah. <laughs> mm, exactly. It, it's there's a lot of different layers about this, and it does bring up the discussion of what do we actually present to the world, because there's always a public persona and a private persona that people have. They'll say things in public, but then they might think something completely different in private. Is that a curiosity for like these tattoos? I like the idea that it's kind of semi-public. Mm -hmm. But, like, is it just the word written out, or is it an icon, or something that you could kind of leave your sleeve partially over the word to imply it's something else? As far as things... That's an interesting topic. Um, the word tattoos kind of resonate with whatever your character would actually have as a tattoo. It sort of rep represents how their view of themselves are. And... Again, sometimes they don't have to be words. Sometimes they are very illegible scrolls, or they are mixed in with other imagery that kind of masks what they are. And again, in the world, there's always people that are pretending to be parsley with just getting n normal tattoos. Makes sense. So in, in one case, you might have somebody who has untrustworthy on their arm. They just wear the sleeve down, so it just says trustworthy. <laughs> in in another case, it almost sounds like you could have like a phoenix or something to say that you're fiery. Again, once you do try to use the magic, your words will be revealed to your partner. But to the onloku, they can only judge you by what's on the surface. So if you mm. were to cover it up or partially cover it up, that would work. Interesting. People would assume things. Again, this is a lot. Of, this game is a lot about perception and assumptions that also 
explains why people would actually be able to pretend to be a parceling because as long as you make yourself like paranoid and it's like, oh no, I, I don't actually want to do any magic with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just cough, not cough. feeling it today. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when the magic happens, the parcelings sort of have to touch each other and okay. they both have to agree to it. Uh, I was going to ask. Okay, so it always has to be consensual. It always has to be consensual. You can't, well, you can you can threaten, cohere, and manipulate them into doing the pause, but you can't right. force the actual, actual magic if they don't want to do it. Um, this is because, like, it, it, the actual process requires the team to discuss what they want to do and the mm. GM to say, yeah, go ahead. This works. You need this many successes to get it, get it done. Um, I found that was the best way to convey the concept of the game to other GMs. Hmm. Because, I mean, you guys probably have run into this as designers yourselves. How do I explain how i done this, how I've done this, and right. put it into words that someone else can reproduce it? Because in the game, in the end, these games are manuals. They're manuals to get you, give GMs a predictable result. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's one of the hardest parts of creating that kind of rule book is how do I convey the experience that I want to other people. And I'm able to produce it, but maybe not in someone else's hands. Or when someone's interpreting it, they're, they're going to have a little bit of a different experience in their games just based on how I'm conveying that message. Um, exactly. Which is, yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. But uh, I, I can see from your, uh, the book that you have, which is unfortunately currently not available to the public, but uh, <laughs> that uh, I have got my eyes on an exclusive uh, uh, advanced version, I guess. And uh, it, is, it is absolutely beautiful. The, the work that you've put into making this visually easy to read, to flow through, the structure, everything. Um, it's, it's very well done. I think this is, makes it very easy for people to grasp and understand. Um, and I know that this has gone through a couple iterations as well. Um, I'd read a, a previous version of this, and I think the, the new flow and order of it is really working to the benefit of having this easy to, to replicate sort of gaming experience. Um, yeah, so there are copies available to the public, um, but you have to basically enter my server and agree to a couple terms and agreements um just because this is a, this game as as far as the writing goes it's actually fairly complete there's a couple of little sections mm-hmm. that i need to clean up and add some act, actual law and and i guess lab results some pass passings of parasites to give gms enough um data to make their own world but it's mostly complete yeah i've seen some of the pages of this before just on other servers we've been on, but yeah, taking a look at it now, it's like, it's a lot better laid out in total than just the occasional snippets I've seen, because you've been looking on the ones that are more questionable. Like, a lot of these pages are really nicely laid out. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, you can see how much work you've put into it, and even the graphic design is beautiful, the art that you've done, and I believe it's you that's working on this? Yep, it's all me yeah, right now. That's amazing. But Ugh. I'll get writers helping out. So. It's, uh, it's, it's stunning. So, And the Discord community that you've put together is also really impressive. And it's, uh, it's a great community. You always have people there, always talking. Um, over almost 200 people 
that are... Let's double check. There's 252 people right now. So probably about maybe 40 or 50 are actually talking consistently. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's something that would be really handy for a lot of people. Exactly. <laughs> actually build the community like was this just something you kind of inherited from association with smudgy or did you learn from them or did you build it yourself? i had this i had this community before smudgy um i i've got so i used to be part of a tabletop called cardia and they were sort of a whole bunch of artists that love tabletop games and playing something called world of dark and then I was one of the admins there. I had good um, good connections through different communities. And then I started screaming into Reddit. And that's when the server kind of exploded. Um, the trick is to have pretty, pretty cover art and an interesting concept that um, to draw people in. And so that's, it kind of just has been building since April. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a long process to get the server this far. And again, I'm very proud of my my admin team because they keep me on my toes, <laughs> and they also make good decisions. Um, they always double check with another admin before making any other um, taking any action. That's nice. Okay, yeah, that's really good for management. The one thing that you had mentioned, you said it was the cover art specifically, not just artwork in general i've got a lot of compliments on my cover art which um it, it was different enough from other covers which honestly a lot of tabletop covers are stuck in the idea of the 1980s where you want entire battles <laughs> or you have in, in the case of sci-fi's you have planets and and in horror you have sort of again spooky spooky towns well you kind of want to show what your yeah. game is about in one picture, right? Exactly, and well, with the Parsings uh, one, I went with the idea of two people in hand and slowly being overcome by something. But yeah, it kind of was... has Cthulhu-esque <laughs> kind of leanings in there. <laughs> it does, it does. But there was enough, there was a lot of different elements that um, as some of the people ha that have given me feedback on it, that it takes time to actually notice. So what it has is a fairly strong thumbnail. So when you look at it at a distance, when you look at it um, kind of zoomed out, you're like, oh, it's this thing. But then when you get closer and you're actually taking the details, you start to see the words forming in the background. And that kind of links more into different parts of the game. Um, I think I stagged enough interest because it was that mysterious. Mm-hmm. And unique, like you said, it's it it really is intriguing, and it helps that it's very beautiful. And you've chosen a very interesting color palette too to to play with. Yeah, there's a lot of pastels. Yeah, not something that you see all the time in the RPG industry. So it draws the eye. It's it's beautiful. You've done an excellent job at at creating mm -hmm. the the brand for parcelings and other games as well because this is absolutely a very unique take um, mm. on a game and the mechanics themselves and it matches with the art that you've chosen so absolutely very, yeah yeah it's a colorful mess <laughs> yeah it's, it was beautiful yeah no <laughs> it is but that's kind of a part of the appeal to it i think 
is that it it looks more organic in a lot of ways even though there's a lot of elements that are very structured like the words in the background are they're not lined up vertically perfectly to one another there is kind of a a difference on each row for example Mm. just enough that it feels not clinical in how it's presented absolutely um i chose a very stock standard blocky font as well because it's sort of showing that there's order within chaos as well Mm. um but yeah you're absolutely correct um it was interesting coming up with this and it took a while and a couple i think about 20 different iterations before i hit this design wow yeah it's the kind of thing that your your front cover says so much it's like it's basically if somebody's going to pick it up it's whether they're going to put it back down again immediately or not mm. um this is a lesson to everyone else out there uh, mm-hmm. do something mysterious do something pretty and please stop using the grungy stuff it's not appealing. <laughs> or at least do something that there's multiple layers to it. Like something that right. the more you look at it, the more you're going to notice smaller details. Like mm-hmm. this is basically like an art piece in the sense that you could stare at it for half an hour and you'd keep finding new things on it. Absolutely. It's, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm originally an artist. So. Right. This is the sort of stuff I love. <laughs> and it, it shows in the work because even the graphic design of the character sheets, the layouts, they're very ordered. The choice of fonts, like you said, you, they have a purpose and meaning to them that I think a lot of designers overlook or aren't as trained in really assessing exactly what kind of message these choices make to the game experience. So. Are, do you find that there are skills, like at this point you've done the, the mechanics, the art, the graphic design, layout, are there skills that you're looking at, like people to, to help you with? And I know you've worked with Smunchy, who we've had on this game or on this podcast before, who's a, a publisher. Um, and are, are there sort of other roles of people that you're, you have outsourced work to? So I've, I'm currently outsourcing some writing because... Okay. As much as this game is about words, and as much as I love words, mm. um, many of my servers have found that I'm very typing. Dis- I'm I'm very dyslexic when it comes to typing. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I'm terrible with my grammar. And again, a lot of my admins have been screaming at me for this that I'm terrible at my grammar. So basically, with Smudgy Games, I'm going to be borrowing a couple of writers to go through, edit things, clean everything up. And my wife is one, if there's anything that's written in in the passages, that's actually my wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm mainly outsourcing there. Um, eventually, if I can train someone up to do similar art style and color palette to myself, I might find a secondary artist to help out, but it's difficult, to say the least. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... A unique, a fairly unique style. Like people can learn it, but it's like if you have somebody who can mimic an art style well, they're probably working for Disney or exactly. a professional company because that's like 
the crucial talent that you need there. Yeah, it. <laughs> I've had a lot of chats to people, and everyone said be able to either one have something a style that really, really stands out, or two be able to copy someone's style. Um, to make it in those industries. Yeah, it's pretty much one or the other. <laughs> and I know that I'm not the neatest person out there, which is why option B is out of the question. But yeah, no, mm. it's it's definitely all about. If I was going to find another artist, it'd have to be close to what I can do, right? Or better. In which case, I slowly fade out and just. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that gets expensive as well though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have the benefit that I've been told many, many times by the people in our in our little community that I'm very lucky that I am an illustrator. Right. You very much so are. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say lucky so much as it's just good in your case that you happen to um, Either on that skill set, yeah, that's right. That's one of the most expensive parts to do. It, it's much cheaper to hire out people to write stuff for you than it is to draw stuff for you. There's always a there's always a chance that when you get hire an artist, they're not exactly there's no mind meld with them. You know? <laughs> yes. Exactly. So you can't get your what you wanted a hundred percent, and they might come with something. That's actually better than what it was, but you well, there's always a little part of you that says, "That's not how I imagined it." Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, again. absolutely. <laughs> no, I've been very lenient with the artists I've hired because of that. Because it's like, this is not what I had in mind, but it's awesome, so I'll let it slide. Exactly. <laughs> I can bullshit up an answer. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of artists that are brilliant, but they're still not you. They're still not going to share that same vision. I mean, that's the same of any form of artwork, though. It's not, uh, it's going to include, like, your written word as well. Like, Mm, there are mm. things that, even if they're writing it more competently than you would have, they're still not going to write it in quite the way that you might have had in mind. Mm, Which can be a blessing or can be a curse. In all cases. <laughs> Usually both at the same time. <laughs> because I, I think it's important in these books to have a lot of different perspectives. Hmm. Um, but you want to appear to have a unified um, sort of image. Or, I guess, to burn a unified idea. Like, to me, Shadowrun, <laughs> the writing is the most unique part about it. Um, the fact that they're going in that first person and it's Often jarring at times, but it's also what builds up the world. Yeah, and that's for the Shadowrun one as well. Even though there's like a bunch of different characters in the same setting, you can tell they're from the same setting because of some similar phrases and such they use. Mm. Each character does feel very unique. I think that comes with good writing and good development. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a skill that I've yet to achieve. <laughs> it's a hard one to to master so and especially with the first design like i find that um there are a lot of mistakes that i made in the early iterations that i'm still learning every time i'm writing a new version of the the rule book there's so many changes that i need to make because it's 
this is not coming across the way I want it to come across. And there's uh, people are interpreting this in a different way than I thought or expected. So just getting my head around that is uh, is a whole different experience from what I'm used to in, in even creative writing. I think that's the beauty of having beta readers mm-hmm. from anywhere and everywhere mm-hmm. that they'll quickly tear things apart because it doesn't make sense to them. And those are the beta readers that you want to keep happy because they're going to be the ones that actually give you a good finished copy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That's something that everybody who designs stuff needs to have is people who will tell you this is crap. Mm-hmm. And here's <laughs> why in intimate detail. Yeah. yeah. It like, hurts, but it's necessary. Think of it this way if they praise you, great, they're interested, but it doesn't help you. Yeah. If they give you criticism that you can use, and I'm talking about constructive criticisms where they, like, as you said, they point out what's wrong and how to improve it. Those are worth a fortune, even if they tell you that, that you're a crack of shit. <laughs> crack of shit. Yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be overly constructive. Like, it helps if they can give you, oh, this would be a good way to fix it, but sometimes just having them say, I hate it here is exactly why I'm going to give you, like, an entire book, basically a thesis explaining why I hate it so much. Even if they don't tell you how to improve it, at least you have enough information there to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had that with Poslings. Yeah. Um, but it, in the end, it's just like, you can take everything that they say, reevaluate it, take a step back, don't act on it right away, and then come back to it the next day and say, okay, I've calmed down. Let's take a look at this, and let's yeah. highlight all the bits that are actually useful. Yeah. yeah, that's really important. Like, keep in mind for listeners and such, just because somebody doesn't like something doesn't necessarily mean they're right. It also may be just personal preference as well, or it may just be they want your game to do something other than what you want your game to do. Oh man, I've had my fair share of people saying that you should be able to cast magic on your own, but that's not really the purpose, the purpose of the game. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, then play a game where you can do that. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's again, you just have to make sure that it's inzi- uh, what they're giving, the feedback that they're giving coincides with your design. Yeah, the biggest advice that I give people now that are trying to design their own game is to lay out the design objective from the beginning. If you can have it in your mind, a picture or a sentence that says, this is what the game is about. It's about people that have, that use the words that define them together with others to create something magical um, or to solve problems or however you want to phrase it. And this is the concept that keeps coming back to you that you can check every other design element against. It'll help you so much in narrowing down the core of your game experience that that is what will push you forward. And what pieces you do not want to infringe upon. Exactly. Like, don't change this no matter That's what right. you do, no matter how many times people tell you that they want That's something right. else. It's like, there are other games that do that. This one is specifically to do this. If you exactly. want to do this, this is your game. Yep. That's and right. if you don't like it, you can homebrew it when you run it. But yes. <laughs> well, people you are going to do that anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Um, again, it's like 
homebrew is an interesting topic because it can make or break games. Um, I'm pretty sure, as we've said before, Shadowrun is a good game, conceptually. Yeah, I was going to put an, an addendum on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Shadowrun uh, is a good setting. It's a terrible game. <laughs> it's got a lot of interesting parts to it. And honestly, you need to homebrew some of it. Like most tabletop games, you're going to end up homebrewing it. Um, just because you're a different GM for a different setting. You know? Right. Yeah, and how homebrewable your game is, like how malleable it is, how much you can change without obviously breaking a bunch of other stuff. Like, you can break a bunch of other stuff, it's just if you don't notice it, it's okay. As long as your players don't notice and they don't abuse it. Yeah, it's like, I think that's one of the biggest things we've identified for, like, why D&D is so amazing, is... Mm. It breaks really easily. You change anything, it falls apart, but it doesn't fall apart in a way that you know that it's actually broken, so people don't mind. That's actually really subtle, but important. <laughs> it's like that spell, what was it? Um, that um, first like level zero spell, it was the one that changes the appearance of something. Restitution? Yes, that's well. Because oh, it does like a thousand things, that's why I wasn't sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, exactly, it does a thousand things, and in an actual real-life setting, that ga- that's probably the bro- most broken thing ever. Right. Oh, yep. I, can clean, I can clean clothes instantly, whenever I want it! It seems so useful, but if you were to start a dry-cleaning um, dry clinic with that, oh. that spell... The opposite of it is even more interesting because you can also use prestidigitation to soil something, and they're not very specific on what it means to soil something. Like, again, it depends on the GM to say what when it's too much, but you could technically soil them in oil. You could, but at the same time, it's like, you could very much so just be like, oh, the king's given a speech. Oh, he wet himself. <laughs> Exactly. That's a good way to screw up an entire regime really quick. (laughs) It it really is, and it's a bit silly at times. Right. It's silly, but that that's why things are very powerful in that way. Mm -hmm. Just in games in general. So, like one thing you've mentioned in this, in particular, is that you build spells by just putting words together, and like. You have, like, ice on the shoulder of the road, or, you know, somebody just viewing you as, I just don't want to talk to you, so I'm just going to ignore you kind of thing and let you do your thing as you walk brazenly right into the building I'm supposed to be guarding. So it's like, that kind of a magic system is potentially very ripe for abuse in the same reason why, because it's not quantified and very isolated in what you can do. It's very broad in interpretation. It's almost like the kangaroo court version of Magic the Gathering. They used to play like, geez, like a decade ago now. It was like, <laughs> you had like three people playing. You had like the two players, and then you had a judge, and it was like, 
Well, the card doesn't say it's flying, but the picture on the card blatantly shows oh, the creature is flying, so it should count as a flying creature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of why you have the... They can say, you know what, this bullshit is too high. It's not. <laughs> um, but this game is designed to be broken, and in that sense, it won't be broken because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with pauses, there's different levels. There's about seven different levels, and I know that's a bunch of them, but it's because of this. So the GM can say, okay, you just want one person for a couple seconds. That's easy. Let's go with the minor. Or you want the entire building to ignore. You know what? That's a joke. That's going to be, you know, you might as well have God on your side. That's going to be like a miracle level pile. Um, so it, there's a little bit of a leveling system of the pauses within it, and the GM just dictates how much successes you need to actually make that work. So in a sense, there is restrictions. So how do you generate successes then if you're using cards? Like this obviously isn't using dice to generate successes, is it? No, it isn't. So the wonderful so in this game you've got images and skills. So images are sort of like in most games is your aptitude, is your charisma, it's your force or your strength, your dexterity yada yada yada. Things that make up how your actual presentation of you is. So you could be very strong, very fast, very smart, very witty, very charming, yada, yada, yada. You take one of those stats and you add it to a skill, something that you've learned over time, um, like your actual knowledge base. And you can draw that many cards. Say you've got a, ch- a charisma or charm of three and a manipulation of three. You draw six cards from your deck. Hmm. Then, since you're trying to, ta- well, you're trying to manipulate something, um, and use your charisma to do so, you'd be looking for hearts in your deck. So you draw six cards, you draw out the hearts, and then you've got the numbers on the cards. Now, anything, in this case, over six, would count as one success. Anything under six or six takes their full successes. So say you've got a two of hearts, a three of hearts, and a seven of hearts. That seven would become a one success. And the two and the three would take their full value. So in total, you get two plus three, which is five, plus one, which is six successes. Okay, that would be a lot easier to do in practice, I feel, than explaining it. It's the kind of thing that it seems like, if I had the cards in front of my hand, that actually probably wouldn't be too difficult, but... Yeah. It's it's purely because we're talking. (laughs) Yeah. It's like most board games. They sound more difficult than they are. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's too bad in practice, but it definitely does sound awkward to describe. Oh, it absolutely is. And I've done this 20, 30 times yeah. in a con, <laughs> of, of, like over two cons. And once people get it, they get it. And it usually just takes a demonstration. But typically the GM says, you need this many successes to succeed on any action. Um, with the recommendation of low, two being um, for a very simple thing, seven being seven being moderate, and fourteen being something super freaking hard that you shouldn't be able to do. Hmm. It, it makes for an interesting interaction of building the deck too, because now you're focusing on do I keep a bunch of low cards with the knowledge that they'll take on their full value, 
when I do checks of all ranges, or do I take the biggest cards that I have um, in the hopes that I'll take on these difficult challenges and get their max value? But as soon as I try something easy, I'm only getting one or two successes, like or one success out of it uh, when that card yep. comes up. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> um, it was specifically done to balance out min maxing. Mm-hmm. Because chances are you might have one or two draws that you have seven or eight cards that you can draw up to. There's two things that bad. There's two things that's bad about that. One, you're gonna burn out through your deck pretty damn fast. And two, any of your lower checks, any of the lower tasks that you might be asked to do, you might be only drawing two cards. So there's a sort of a sweet spot in the middle where you'll be consistently successful. Right. And where you will actually do very well and things that you won't. Hmm. That makes sense. It's a very strange way to set it up, but it's, it's an interesting way. I'd like to actually see how it works in practice at some point. So I might have to sneak <laughs> onto your server and try to play test with someone. Yeah, I, I run run shots pretty regularly. So there's always that. All right, well, to let me know. Yeah, exactly. We, we <laughs> might see uh, Katrice and I there pretty soon because I think we're we're both really intrigued and we'd love to to give it a shot. So, well, there's always the option of making your own characters, or I can give you pre-generated characters, uh, which is what I use in conventions, just because I don't want people coming to and sitting there for an hour trying to come up with the character. Right. You know. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> exactly. It's the the best way to get started with the pre-gens. It. It's a little bit sad because this game really shines when you customize your own character, mm. but it's the way you teach the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Tutorial. Yeah, I understand that with mine as well. It takes forever to make a character in my game, but it makes it so good if you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It, it coming from people from coming from D and D, it's a lot harder. But for people yeah. that have never done anything before, it's actually easier to teach them. Right. Um, how to play this game. Yeah. I'm not surprised, like... But, <laughs> it's sort of like everything. You learn one system, and the first system, there's always a special place in your heart. Yeah, yeah it's That's just true. that there are certain bad habits that each game will create. doesn't matter which game it is. Like, each one has their own different unique things. D&D in particular is roll for everything. Mm-hmm. So, it's like... Okay, now you get to make a choice. What? I, I've never done this before. I have no idea what to do now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's interesting that each game has their own dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Like, Power by the Apocalypse has specific moves that you carry. But then, and Fate, there's a way of generating advantages or aspects. Mm-hmm. But again, every game is slightly different. Otherwise, we don't. You know? Yeah. And I. I... I think it'll be really interesting to play this one because it is such a refreshing take on the RPG mechanics um, that we're used to seeing. This is pretty unique um, in terms of its design and, and how you interact with other characters. And so I'm, I'm excited to try it and see where it goes. So best, best of luck with uh, publication. I know that's something that you're, you're moving towards as well pretty soon. Yeah, that's hopefully next year, but it's going to really depend on how fast I can pump out art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Bottleneck. Oh, 
there's always a bottleneck somewhere. As yeah. you do one thing, you're taking it away from somewhere else. Exactly. I'm so so glad that I've got an editor now. That's nice. So once they go, once they go through and fix up all my little typos and maybe suggest better wording for some stuff, I should be good. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. one of the most expensive things other than art is an editor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having like yeah. a 200 plus page book, you're usually looking at you know, often five, six figures. Mm-hmm. Like, editing it's not yeah. cheap. <laughs> so that's something that any indie designer has to deal with, the fact that they are doing the equivalent of, like, a million dollars worth of work for a book they're probably going to sell for, like, two to ten dollars yeah. for most people. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's part of the love. Oh, it is. But it's, it's definitely something people should appreciate. Who knows, you might make the next Fate or the next Shadowrun. That's the hope. That's the dream. (laughs) For some people. Some people it's not. Some people it's just like, I want to cover something for this very small niche Mm. because nobody else is doing it. It's only going to appeal to like 57 people on the planet, but it's going to be the best thing they have ever done. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I think we need those too. I think that's like any creative endeavor. You you don't know what's going to happen once you do it. And if you're working on your own original stuff, it's always a gamble. But it's a fun gamble. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in in the interest of not keeping you too long uh, and and wrapping this up, were there any other shoutouts that you wanted to give? Mm, other games? Uh, well, there's obviously um, Smudgy Games, mm-hmm. who's my publisher. They've got a couple other titles. Um, Paths, one of their main projects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also uh, I think it's Tidebreaker yes Tidebreaker yes um, and there's also Fray which is sort of this kind of tavern board game card game thing that I have still yet to try haven't been Australian it's really hard to line up with a lot of times and there's also one um, there's Chronotear by um, one of my friends which is a game that's in development and it's got a really interesting concept um sort of people ripped out ripped out from time and they sort of are hired as mercenaries cheap slave labor and it's pretty interesting in the in the system still very early in development but they'll come through eventually very cool that's awesome well we're looking to to see the updates on those as they continue then yeah, definitely something to keep an eye out of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Blue. I really appreciate you coming on to the, the show and talking to some game design with us. And I, I, I love the look of parcelings, and I can't wait to try it out myself. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And we'll definitely <laughs> be keeping an eye on this one. This looks like it's going to be a big one at some point. Absolutely. It depends on my stamina. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Of it's course. been wonderful to talk to you with you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we'll uh, hopefully have you on another time. So uh, from all of us at Flail Forward, thank you for listening and have a good night because it is always night where you are listening. Always night where you are. Yes. <laughs>
Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Gotta go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone.